Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Good morning. Good to see you. My name's Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here. And it's so good to be together in our first in-person uh, worship in a, a long time. And so uh, I'm glad that you're here physically present. And it's good to see your face, faces, at least partially some of your faces. Uh, and I'm glad for those that are, that are streaming remotely. And I think even for those of us who are here and we see each other, we, we still need to remember that there are those joining remotely, and all of us are united in the same spirit, worshiping the same God uh, who is the one true God. And this week mark, uh, marks the launch for us into a new season of ministry. Obviously, we're gathered here for in-person worship, but we're beginning our city groups and our huddles uh, as our main avenues uh, of ministry for deeper connection, formation, and mission. And we want you to know that we're going to do everything in our power to be as safe as possible in everything that we offer. We're going to be monitoring the coronavirus, and, and so uh, we just want you to be assured that we're trying all we can uh, to, do, to do everything we can to be safe. Uh, I do want to point out that as we move forward in this kind of new season of ministry, uh, that it's a strange season, and I think we can name that. It's okay to name that this is a strange season filled with both hope and loss, and we've got hope this morning and that God is at work. He has promised to always be at work. We have hope that we're taking new steps of ministry into this year. Hope because the Lord has provided this new place of worship for us here in the heart of our city. But there's loss as well. Loss and that we'll no longer be at Hayti, a place we've been for six plus years. Loss that we're not in a sanctuary packed with people. Loss that we can't congregate and shake hands and give each other hugs. Loss and that people have moved cities since the pandemic started and we never got to say goodbye. Babies have been born and we've never met them. Children have grown and we've missed out on their growth. I say all of that to really give everybody here freedom, probably mostly for myself, to give myself freedom because we are going to be a mixture of hope and sorrow in this season. And I pray that our hearts are large enough to feel both the hope of what is to come and the sorrow of what is not yet. If you've got a bulletin, hopefully you did on the way in, you're going to see that our plan every week is to shorten our worship service. Uh, we're doing this for a few reasons, to help those of you that have children in your laps and those of you that have children at Children's Church over the soccer field, uh, to be timely uh, for that, and also uh, to clean and sanitize thoroughly in between uh, the services. Our aim is around a 45 to 50-minute service that includes weekly communion, uh, we realize in, in doing this and shrinking our service that there will be all, uh, aspects of our old service uh, that we will not have any, anymore. That's a loss. And at the same time, we're, we're glad to be embodied in worship. And so, I, as I said, there's going to be this mixture of hope and loss as we are in this strange season. Now, if you've ever had somebody ask you a question that just stopped you in your tracks, you ever had somebody ask you a question all of a sudden it just kind of stopped you in your tracks? When I, when I first moved to the Triangle in 2008, I got to know an Anglican priest who's now an Anglican bishop, and he and I would meet one to two times a month. We would talk about life and how God is at work in us and through us and in the world, and he would listen to me process my own heart and my circumstances. And in 2008, I was dealing with a lot. I was in my young 30s, single, moving to an area that I hardly knew anybody. I was restarting a, a campus ministry, I was a recent graduate uh, of a seminary. I was coming out of two years of counseling where I was beginning to understand more and more my own personal formation during my 31 years of life. But particularly, I was wrestling with 
why I worked so hard without taking care of myself to rest and be personally refreshed. That in many respects, I, I was and still can be at times a workaholic. And so I was trying to understand this good ambition that I had for God's kingdom, and I was trying to understand this deeper sinful unrest that caused me to never be content or satisfied, thus always pushing. And in one of our walks, I remember like it was yesterday, but it was 12 years ago, I was sharing about how tired I felt. Not, not just physical tiredness, but a, an internal kind of exhaustion. This constant fast pace that I was running in vocational ministry. And, and he looked over at me and he asked me a question that stopped me in my tracks. He said, Daniel, when was the last time someone held you? And I, I, I did a double take. <laughs> That's an odd question. Uh, and I, I responded with, what'd you say? Uh, and I mainly responded that way because I, I wasn't quite sure how I'd honestly respond to the question. Uh, yet it was penetrating. And so I was beginning to think how to respond. He said, I, I just asked, when was the last time someone held you? And this time it landed with force. And I have to tell you that I almost curled up in the fetal position on the side of the road that we were walking on, but I somehow managed to hold it together and we continued to walk, but tears filled my eyes. That in this one question, he unlocked the door of my heart and caused me to really face what was happening inside of my heart. He knew that my fast-paced workaholism that I baptized as ministry for the Lord was rooted in a deeper heart desire. And in this one question, I was taken to the deepest places of my heart. What do I really need? What do I really desire? What do I really long for? And some transparency this morning, one of my heart's deepest desires is to be loved and accepted. And when I'm not healthy, I, I think I need to work for love. I need to work to be accepted. And so I perform, I perform for others, I perform for God. And, and so his question opened the door of my heart, drew me into a place of honesty about my desires and my longings. The right question asked has the power to open something inside of you, to help us realize something we do not perceive or even understand about ourselves. In this year of pandemic and racial crisis and economic crisis, I think we've all found ourselves asking questions to ourselves, to others, and to God. God, what are you doing? God, when will this end? How much longer? But what I want us to do for the next 12 weeks is flip the script. And instead of us asking questions to God, which the Bible encourages, I want us to allow Jesus to ask us questions, which he does in the Bible. And as much as some of us might say that we know Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the truth, we're going to see in Scripture that Jesus was also the champion question asker. He asked more than 300 questions in the four Gospels we have in our Bibles. He asked questions at the exact right time, and he did so to open the door of hearts and to get people to understand themselves and their need for God and the true nature of God's kingdom. And the questions that Jesus asked 2,000 years ago are questions he's wanting to ask us today. The Bible is alive. It is the living word of God. Jesus is alive. And the questions he asked in the gospels are questions he wants us to respond to today. And he wants us to understand ourselves our need for God, and the true nature of God's kingdom. And so the question that we're going to hear Jesus ask this morning is, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He asked this question twice in 15 verses in Mark chapter 10. So I'm going to ask you if you're able, turn and stand as we give attention to the word of God. 
you're able to stand, please do so. I'm going to read Mark 10, 35 to 40. I know I just have 36 to 40, but it's going to be 35 to 40, and then verses 46 to 52. This is God's word to us this morning. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, I ask that you would speak to us today that this penetrating question that was asked to Bartimaeus and James and John 2,000 years ago would penetrate our hearts, that we might encounter you and you might transform us because you've spoken to us. I pray that the words of my mouth, meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Well, a good question is like somebody stepping on the mat in front of automatic doors. When you step on the mat, the sensor goes off, the automatic doors open wide. I think we take it for granted now, but you go into the grocery store and all you have to do is step on the mat and the double glass doors open automatically. A really good question has the power to open our hearts and to probe us to walk the corridors of our hearts to be honest about our desires. As human beings, all of us were created with desires. But the sad thing is that many of us have learned how to survive in a broken world rather than flourish as God intends. And we do this by suppressing our desires. And this can happen through addiction so that we don't have to feel our disappointment. We can suffer depression so that we don't get angry. We binge on multiple distractions so that we don't feel lonely. And we seek power and financial security so that we won't feel afraid. But thankfully, Jesus wants us to flourish. And so he moves towards us and he asks questions. He wants to open the door of our hearts so that we can be honest and then brought into relationship and so that we can trust Jesus and follow him. In our passage, we hear him ask, what do you want me to do for you? Two different scenarios. He asks, what do you want me to do for you? And both times, Jesus is inviting the person into an honest inspection of their desires so that Jesus can invite them into genuine relationship with himself. We're going to start with the second story, verses 46 to 52, Bartimaeus. And I want us to understand that Jesus invites us to name our desires. Now, can you imagine this scene with Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus is 
is a beggar. He's a panhandler. Societally, he was expendable. So he, he sat on the roadside, and as people traveled between Jericho and Jerusalem, he would shout out, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus would have asked this over 100 times per day. And Bartimaeus is the equivalent of the many people we might see in and around downtown Durham holding a sign, homeless and hungry will work for food. The day by day, if you're paying attention, you're going to see the same people in and around our city asking for money. It's become their routine. Well, Bartimaeus has a daily routine, sitting roadside shouting, have mercy on me. But this day in Mark chapter 10 is different because this day he hears the name of Jesus. And Bartimaeus has heard of Jesus. He's wondering, is this the son of David? Is this the one who's going to restore the fortunes of Israel? Is this the one who will bring the kingdom of God? And so he starts to shout, son of David, have mercy on me. And the many who were there begin to tell Bartimaeus to shut up. Shut up, Bartimaeus. Jesus doesn't have time to stop for you. But Bartimaeus starts shouting all the louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears him and he stops. And he says, call him. And they bring this blind beggar to Jesus. And they're face to face and the, the large crowd gathers around and it's just Jesus and Bartimaeus in the center. And Jesus looks him in the face and he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Don't, don't miss how beautiful this is. Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. He has something quite important to do there. But he stops for Bartimaeus. And instead of assuming what Bartimaeus wants or fixing the man's problem, he asks a question that gives Bartimaeus a voice. And Jesus is inviting Bartimaeus into relationship by allowing him to name and to speak his own needs and desires. Bartimaeus has been asking for mercy forever. And now he's being asked, what does he really want? And you have to wonder what the crowd who's surrounding might be thinking as they're watching this encounter. Will Bartimaeus say, I, I'd love a warm blanket. I'd, I'd love a hot meal or I'd love a new home to live in. But this question that Jesus asks opened the door to his heart and he perceives that Jesus really wants him to be honest about his deepest desires and he understands that Jesus might be able to give it to him. And so with risky trust and faith, he names his deepest desires in front of hundreds of people. Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus says, go away, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Bartimaeus put his faith in Jesus and upon receiving sight, he doesn't leave like Jesus told him to. But instead he follows Jesus on the way, which is the way the New Testament often refers to Christianity, the way. Did you catch that? Jesus' question and Bartimaeus' honest answer, naming his own desires, drives them into deep relationships so that Bartimaeus would leave everything and follow Jesus. This morning, Jesus is literally asking you, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And I want you to allow that question to land with force. So let it open your heart and to be honest. And don't just ask for pocket change. Don't just ask for a little bit more money, a new job, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I mean, let it take you to the deepest places of your heart. 
you, you really want to feel loved or to experience freedom, to feel secure, to, to have meaning in this life. At the question, open your heart to be honest, and then, like Bartimaeus, would you have risky faith? Do you shout out to Jesus and let him meet you face to face? Don't allow the voices of the crowd to sway you, but name your desires honestly and trust that Jesus can satisfy your desires and realize there's no one better than him and follow him. Let's go now to the first story, verses 35 to 40. And the story of Bartimaeus, we understand that Jesus wants us to name our desires. Here in James and John, we're going to understand that Jesus often challenges our desires. In this account, we're reminded that Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle, always answering our every request. And James and John, they come to Jesus, and in verse 35, they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I mean, that, that is some boldness, James and John. I mean, in some ways, we got to be like, bravo, James and John, be bold. And if you notice, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. He simply asks the question that he asked Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant that one of us sits at your right hand and one at your left in glory. James and John, they show us that our desires are not always good and right, though we might name them honestly. So they believe, James and John believe, Jesus is about to march into Jerusalem. He's going to overthrow the powers that be, and he's going to establish his kingdom forever. And so they're angling to be on the right and the left. They're angling to be in power when Jesus is king and his kingdom is established. Their desires are misguided because they have a wrong vision of God's kingdom. And Jesus responds, are you, are you able to drink the cup that I drink, be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And again, misguided, they honestly say, we're able. But Jesus knows something that they do not. That the next time in the gospel of Mark that we see someone on Jesus' left and right, will be two criminals hanging on crosses as Jesus is crucified for the salvation of the world. That the way Jesus would become king and the way God's kingdom would be established was not with might and force, but with a cross and in humility. That the way of Jesus is one of dying to self in humble service. So, so Jesus' question to, to James and John opens the door of their heart, to be honest, and they've got misguided vision, so Jesus in relationship with James and John kindly and gently challenges their desire. Jesus does not always give us what we ask for. He will at times refine our desires, even extinguish or remove our desires because they're not aligned with his purposes and his kingdom. So this morning, he's asking the question, what do you want me to do for you? And would you be honest and vulnerable and name your desires? In fact, I want to encourage you to do something this week. I want you to take time daily. I want you to read God's word because it's his voice to us. And then I want you to spend some time laying out your desires one by one, like your honest desires, not like your overly Christian desires, but like your, your deep, deep desires. Be bold like James and John. I want a 20% raise. I want children that behave. I want to get married. I want a better home. I want this person to get elected and lay these things out before God and let Jesus meet you there. And in that place, would you behold the cross of Christ? And with a deeper understanding of God's upside down kingdom, 
Would you understand that weakness is strength? Sacrifice is power. Death leads to resurrection. This world is not our home. And in that place, let Jesus challenge your desire. Let him refine it. Maybe even remove it. So that we live in relationship with him and our lives are more and more aligned with his purposes in his upside down kingdom. The living Jesus is asking us this question. What do you want me to do for you? Name it. And with risky faith, with risky faith, would you allow Jesus to meet you and satisfy your desire? And would you understand that Jesus is the answer to your desire? For what Jesus wants more than anything is not to give you stuff, but he wants to give you himself. Jesus wants you to know him, that in him you are fully loved, that in him you're fully accepted, you're completely secured, you're fully free. The way of the upside down kingdom is not the way of this world. It's so much better. For as we follow him on the way, we may not always get the things that we name, but we do always get him. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would meet us as we come to this table each week to, to taste the bread and drink from the cup. You remind us that you give us yourself. And so I pray that we would be able to be honest this morning, name our desires, our longings, our needs, and, and that we would experience your love. We experience your grace, your presence your nearness, your, you holding us, you comforting, you being our Savior. Pray that you do that now as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.